And as we open your word, we pray, Jesus, that we would open ourselves to you and uh, just acknowledge that so many people in this room bring in so many different uh, things and feelings with them this morning. You can handle all of it at once. So we just want to tell you what's on our heart now, Father. Thank you for loving us. Speak to us, we pray. Amen. So for most of 2019, we've been walking through Matthew's gospel, um, taking a couple little breaks. But starting in October, uh, through the, the end of the year, we're traveling through chapters 8 through 10, when Jesus is healing, casting out demons. Uh, there's little snippets of teaching. And then in chapter 10, he goes and tells his disciples to do what he's been doing. Uh, so we're, we're approaching that. We're not quite there yet. So I wanted to start this morning by reviewing uh, the, 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 what we've covered so far and, and seeing the structure. Uh, this is the structure that I saw. The next slide. It's a, it's a chiasm. Um, you don't have to remember that term. But what a chiasm is, is it's like A, B, C, and then B, and then A, where the two Bs are basically the same thing. The two A's are basically the same thing. And, and it's, a, it's a way to design, it's a literary structure in order to make a point. And I thought it'd be helpful today to look at it in order to just kind of orient ourselves. When, when we just go through passages verse by verse as we've been doing, it's easy, or if you miss a week, it's easy to kind of miss the big picture that Matthew's painting. And so this is all about faith in Jesus. Jesus is inviting us to trust him. The healings and the teaching and the mercy, he, the, the healings that Jesus is doing is out of his mercy, out of his great compassion. We're going to see that next week when Jesus goes throughout cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel. And this is what it says in Matthew 9, 36. It says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. For they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And so that's what Jesus is doing in a nutshell with the healings is he's showing, he's demonstrating in tangible ways his mercy. And all of this points to Jesus' authority, which uh, we, we saw extensively. Matthew is unpacking that Jesus is like the fulfillment of the temple imagery in the Old Testament. You'd go to the temple to get your sins forgiven. You'd go to the temple um, where t because that's where God met man. It's where heaven and earth collided and overlapped. And through multiple stories, Matthew is painting that same picture, that Jesus has authority over everything on heaven, like in the heavenly realms are demons and stuff. And then Jesus also has authority over the earthly realms, like when he calmed this, the, the, the wind and the waves. Um, that, that's in Matthew 8. So, Jesus is demonstrating this authority and, and all of this is pointing to his being the fulfillment of the temple in imagery. So that's kind of the big overview. I just think it's helpful to occasionally remember, oh yeah, this is kind of what we've been covering, where we've been uh, before we dive into our text today. Because last week, this, is, this, this message is kind of part two of last week's message because last week we saw Jesus say uh, to the woman who reached out and touched him, and then she was instantly healed. 
of a medical condition she had for 12 years and none of the doctors could help her with. When, 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 when she was healed, Jesus said, your faith has healed you. And this week he says, according to your faith, let it be done to you. And it's really the same idea that Jesus is healing according to someone's faith. And I don't know about you, but in the past, like when I, when I come to these passages, it's like, okay, I get that's what Jesus said. I don't really know what that means. But I find it incredibly helpful to think about uh, my son, who's like two years old, right? He just turned two. And we give things to Wyatt. We give good things to our son, Rose and I, my wife, according to his pleas. Does that make sense? Wyatt is old enough to say please. And, uh, and so we often will not give Wyatt what he wants until he asks and he asks the right way, please, kindly. And uh, that doesn't mean that every time Wyatt asks with a please, he gets what he's asking for because we're teaching him how to live well. We're trying to teach Wyatt, whether he gets it or not, that he's living well by asking instead of taking, by trusting us to ask and to ask kindly without a sense of entitlement. So Wyatt gets things according to his pleas and our heavenly father in his sovereignty, he's, he's got control over everything. He chooses to relate to us out of our faith. And so according to their faith, they are healed. That's the way that God is choosing to relate to us. Like Hebrews says, it's impossible to please God without faith. And God wants this intimate relationship with all of you, with everyone He's offering this relationship, but we come to him in faith. So does, does that make sense a little bit? Okay, thanks. Uh, because if we can understand according to your pleas, then I think that Jesus healing and, and interacting with people according to their faith will also make sense. And just because we have faith doesn't mean that we're going to get what we asked for. Okay? Just like Wyatt's pleas doesn't guarantee that he gets what he wants. Our Heavenly Father loves us so much. He's teaching us how to live well, not how to manipulate him or other people, but how to live in ways that please him. So here's our text today. Here's all that. It's just to build up so that we can hear the scripture for what God says. Uh, Matthew 9, verses 27 through 34. As Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, have mercy on us, son of David. And when Jesus entered the house, the blind men came to him and Jesus said to them, do you believe that I'm able to do this? And the blind guys said to Jesus, yes, Lord. And then he touched their eyes saying, according to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened. And Jesus sternly warned them, see that no one knows about it. But they went away and spread his fame through all that district. As they were going away, behold, a demon-oppressed man who was mute was brought to Jesus. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke. And the crowds marveled, saying, Nothing, never was anything like this seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, He casts out demons by the prince of demons. So here's my summary of this passage today. And honestly, I think it applies to uh, chapter 8 and 9, kind of this whole section. 
in this, in this passage, you have open minds, which I couldn't find a good emoji for. Um, closed minds, and you have blown minds. The open minds are the blind men. They're very open-minded. They, they believe that Jesus is able and willing and ready to heal them. The closed minds are the Pharisees who refuse to believe that Jesus would be the son of David, that the blind men cry out that he is. And then you have the crowds, the, bl- the blown minds. They're, they're just amazed at, at what's happening. So uh, we're, we're going to dig into this, but really what I want to uh, invite you to consider today is that faithful living, putting our confidence in Christ, it, it is living open-mindedly. And open-minded does not mean undecided. Often when I hear that word, it's like, oh yeah, anything is true, whatever's true for you. That's not what it means necessarily at all. The blind men were the first to see Jesus as who he really was. Matthew 1.1, if you remember how this gospel starts, it's, with the, it's, it's, it's a great attention grabber. If you, if you want to like, learn from Matthew how to start a speech, start with genealogy. <laughs> You know, uh, a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. And we don't hear that phrase applied at all in Matthew again until the blind men. They're the first ones to see Jesus in that light, in this gospel. The blind men are the ones who see Jesus as he is. And so they're open-minded, doesn't believe that they are undecided. They've decided this is who Jesus is. And another example of open-mindedness is like last Sunday's passage where a dead girl's father went to Jesus even after his daughter died. And after a bunch of people laughed at him for, for, for Jesus saying, oh, she's not dead, she's just asleep. He put all those people outside the house and he trusted that Jesus would do something good in the situation. That's open-mindedness. It's, it's basically saying, I'm open to whatever God might choose to do. I'm open to the fact that I don't know everything. And then you got, of course, like I said, the closed-minded. And, and I think a big reason that the Pharisees were so closed-minded is miracles, like we've been looking at, like Jesus has been doing, miracles make people feel uncomfortable. Like real miracles bother people. They, they don't have a category for where that fits in their worldview. And so they just associate, okay, he drives out demons, he must be associated with demons. That's what they thought, the Pharisees, about Jesus. And then you have the minds blown, the, the category of the crowds, they were just amazed. And uh, it sounds worshipful to have your mind blown by God. And I think it might be temporarily, but... Based on Matthew 8 and 9 and all of scripture that I see, I don't believe that's where God wants us to stay. It might be okay to be there for a little while, but let's be honest. Throughout this gospel so far, the crowds have been spectators. They have not been participants in the kingdom of God that Jesus is ushering in. And so blown minds don't seem to produce the discipleship that Jesus is inviting people into. And so as, as we consider these three categories of responses to Jesus and his work, um, 
let's, let's do a little practice of putting ourselves in the story to understand what open-minded faith feels like or looks like. I just, uh, I invite you to close your eyes if, if you want, because these guys were blind. <laughs> um, and, and what we're going to do is we're going to put ourselves in the story to, to get more connected ourselves to what it means to live with faith that is open-minded to what God might do. So imagine you're one of the blind men and you're chasing Jesus who will just say for this, for this scenario where you sit, Jesus is back like in the sound booth, okay? Caleb, Cassie Waller. And your chase, you have to navigate without being able to see physically. You have to navigate your way back there, but Jesus is on the move too. So let's say they go downstairs (laughs) into a room because Jesus went into a room. It'd be hard enough to find Jesus like in the midst of a crowd, let alone Jesus going into the room. All the while though, you're calling out for him. So why, why is Jesus going into a room? He's making it harder, it seems, to catch him. It'd be incredibly difficult, wouldn't it, for you to navigate your way to find them without being able to see. You can open your eyes now. That open-mindedness, though, weren't you so active in, in, that, in that scenario? You were, you were doing everything you could to find the people, to find the person that was moving. And when Jesus went into a room, like, to me, I think it's just funny. Like, wh- why is Jesus going into a room when blind men are calling after him? But it just goes to show that their open-mindedness is very active, and our faith should be very active when we pursue Jesus. Jesus asked them, when they finally caught Jesus, he said, do you believe that I'm able to do this? And why would Jesus ask that? Like, let's just let this hit us kind of freshly. They've been calling out, making a big scene to find Jesus, to hunt him down. And then he said, do you believe I'm able to do this? Maybe he was making sure that they just weren't grabbing attention for themselves. But I, I don't know. They, they said to him, yes, Lord, we do believe. So both their actions and their words lined up and Jesus touched their eyes. And that, that's when he said, according to your faith, be it done to you. That faith was expressed in active pursuit of Jesus. And then their eyes were opened. And do you remember the first thing, the first thing that they saw when Jesus opened their eyes? They saw Jesus' serious face. Yeah, his serious face. And he invites them into further discipleship, further following of him. Simple instruction. Don't tell anyone about this. Then they become closed-minded. Don't they? Rather than remaining open to to what the son of David the Messiah, the long-awaited Savior, would have them do their next step. It's very simple. Just stay quiet for a time. They do the opposite. And so they seem, they seem to be more interested in getting the healing that they want and refusing further treatment. And we can easily do that too. We come to Jesus to get what we want, 
We're not really interested in the ongoing healing that he's offering us. And you could say, well, why? Like, why, why could they not tell anyone? Jesus really didn't owe them an explanation at that point. He had just saved them. He had just opened their eyes. The least they could do is trust him with the next step. The day is going to come, in fact, it might already be here, when Wyatt says, please, just to get what he wants. That, that's what I'm going to call manipulation. He's bypassing relationship. He's bypassing the purpose of that word, the purpose of asking in order to get what he wants. And we can easily do that too. But Jesus is offering us more. He's offering us intimate friendship with him. And, and we've looked at this chart before, but I believe that this is just another example that these miraculous demonstrations of kingdom power don't necessarily produce what Jesus came to bring, which is discipleship to him. He's inviting us into discipleship and you have these squiggly lines. This is my model of what's happening here. You have these squiggly lines, which is miraculous demonstrations of kingdom power, but they're all pointing to discipleship to Jesus. They're inviting us in to this relationship where we hear from Jesus and we trust him. We do what he says. But when we enter in to discipleship, discipleship of Jesus, our lives should be producing demonstrations of the fact that we are in God's kingdom. We should be showing the world that we have been changed, that we're being changed. Because discipleship does produce demonstrations of kingdom power. And those demonstrations just invite others to discipleship. So these, these straight lines here is like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. It is the fruit of God's activity in our lives. And you might occasionally have some squiggly lines, some miraculous, but that's not the point. The point is relationship. And relationship is quite simple. Like I said, it is invitation and acceptance. Invitation and acceptance. Like Jesus came to Matthew, the tax collector, we saw, he said, come follow me. And Matthew got up and followed him. He told these guys, hey, don't tell anyone. And they went out and told someone. It's invitation and acceptance to what Christ is doing in our midst. And I just want to highlight that uh, these blind men were still healed. They were still healed. God's mercy doesn't, it, he, he doesn't say, well, I know you're going to go on disobeying, so I'm not even going to bother with you. You can be saved, you can be made in right relationship with God and live in ongoing sin. If that's what you want, God's not going to stop you. It's just, it's just a shame that you're choosing what's not good for you. Over time, true discipleship to Jesus produces demonstrations of life, of a life lived in his kingdom. And, and I also want to say, God doesn't normally work through miraculous means. For us today, this won't look like making blind men see every day. Perhaps that you'll never have an experience like that. But God's spirit does give us power to witness to the person and work of Jesus. So how does it look? Well, Colossians 3.17, I think, paints, paints a very beautiful picture for us to move towards. Paul says to the church in Colossae, whatever you do, 
whether word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So this is what life lived in the kingdom of God can look like. Whatever you do, I don't know what that doesn't capture. Washing the dishes, teaching a class, praying for others, building an airplane, encouraging one another, raising kids, raking leaves. Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. What does what in the name of Jesus even mean? Is that just something that we pray at the end of our prayers? It helps me to think about power of attorney. When, when, when you have power of attorney, you've been granted authority to act on someone else's behalf, to make decisions. And so to pray in Jesus' name would be to pray in such a way that you're saying Jesus would sign off on that prayer. Jesus would approve of how I raked those leaves, my heart in raking those leaves. All those things, raking leaves, raising kids, washing dishes, doing your job at your workplace, all those things can be done in the power of God. They can all be demonstrations of life in the kingdom. They can also be demonstrations of our own power and our own kingdom. So what's the difference? It takes faith. Faith to engage God in your daily life. Faith to remain open. God, what are you doing here? I'm having a really hard day. What are, what are you doing in the midst of what I'm feeling, in the midst of these circumstances? When we're aware of God's presence and power, we are living connected to the reality of his kingdom. And this is straight from Jesus' teaching in Luke 17. When he was asked by the Pharisees, when is the kingdom of God going to come? Jesus said, the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, here it is or there it is, because it's right here. It's in your midst. And the Pharisees were not connected to it, and so they didn't see it, even though they were talking to the king of the kingdom. Our lives, we have authority, we have power. Because of the risen Christ, we have power to live in ongoing connection to the king and in his kingdom. And when we do that, the, the, the last part of Colossians 3.17 just takes care of itself. We give thanks because we're aware of the good and beautiful God. So here's, here's the concluding practice. Uh, you could call it application, but it's really only application if we do it. So uh, I'm going to invite us to to do this, and it, it might look differently for each one of us, but the concluding practice is to exercise faith as open-mindedness to Jesus. And, and here's some questions that I found helpful to reflect on. And I'm going to give you some, some time after the message and even into the songs to, to answer these questions. You, you could use the, the piece of paper, the cards in the seats in front of you. But the first question to, to take notes. The first question is, what have you been trusting God for? Because if God has chosen to relate to us in faith, we have to be trusting him for things. Like, that we're not really living <laughs> in relationship with him if we're not living in ongoing trust. So, so what have you been trusting God for? It might be healing. It might be You've been suffering physically and, and you trust him for healing. It might be the salvation of your kids. It, it might be something else. But what have you been trusting God for? And then in the midst of that, that process of walking 
faithfully with God in that, what has helped you? What has helped you to remain open to what God has? Even if it doesn't make sense, like the blind men, they got the instructions to not tell anybody about this. It might not, it just didn't make sense to them, so they went and did up, you know, otherwise. But what has helped you or what is helping you to remain open to what God has in the midst of what you're trusting him for? And then think about how is God or how might God be using faith to make you well? Another way to ask that is what is God teaching you in the midst? It's always in trusting God that healing happens. Even if healing doesn't happen the way that we want or the way that we thought it would, you might not ever get the healing that you ask for, but getting deeper relationship with the healer is always better. It's always better. And every time you go to God asking for healing, you're approaching him. You get to relate to him in that faith. And it might be a refining, a, a, a shaping of your relationship with him, but go to him in faith. He will teach you how to live. So I'm gonna give you some time to reflect on these questions and I encourage you to, to let God speak to you, but also um, invite someone to pray for you. We, we did this last week too. Um, this is not, uh, you, you don't have permission to go to someone else and pry into their life, but you do have permission very much to invite someone else into your life and ask them to pray for you um, and incorporate this. This is something that should be happening in our small groups every week. So this isn't new, but we don't often do it on a Sunday morning. Um, Reflect on this and then invite someone who you trust to pray for you. So I'm going to give you some time to reflect and then whether it's inviting someone to pray for you after the service or during the songs, Uh, Or maybe it's just uh, saying, I'm going to get with a person later. Um, I'm going to sing as my prayer to God. Exercise your faith. This is an opportunity to exercise your faith today. So let's take some time to reflect on these questions.
Father, thank you for inviting us into friendship with you. Thank you that it's according to our faith. It's, it's in relationship of trust with you that you make us well and whole. And we have the utmost confidence. We can have complete confidence that ultimately you will heal and restore all things. So even if we continue to suffer now, to wait now, you're working all things for our good and for your glory. So help us to live in faith today. Trusting that you're a good father who is teaching us how to live well.